0: Hey y'all, it's your favorite host and I wanted to just pop in here to say uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier which gives you access to the Discord and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier an eight dollar tier uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad free um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro rpgs that i create in the future yeah so again uh thank you so much for listening to the show um if you'd like to give additional support that's one way to do it another great way to do it is just you know go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast subscribe uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Hey everyone, Navar here. I just wanted to come in at the top just to kind of let you know the audio for this on my recording. Uh, seem to pick up the incorrect microphone so it is a little bit less quality than normal um, but still definitely listenable the other thing I wanted to let everybody know there um, is a content warning for this there are brief discussions of child abuse but nothing um, in detail Uh, just uh, some mentioning of of certain things so um, I hope you enjoy the episode and yeah thank you for listening Welcome to The Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. today's episode I have a very wonderful guest. Um, This person has become a new friend of mine and they have also just recently created a game which I had the pleasure and honor of playing called Upriver Downriver. So yeah if you'd like to introduce yourself.
1: Hello uh, my name's Ella Watts my pronouns are she her. I'm a queer game designer and also podcast producer but the podcast production is more of my day job and uh, TTRPGs is, is where my heart is.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's so wonderful. So, yeah, we'll definitely talk about your game. Um, But, you know, where I always like to start is just, like, how did you get into nerd stuff?
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so nerd stuff in general and then TTRPGs, uh, I guess, like, it's also worth mentioning that I'm autistic and have ADHD, which just means that I get special interests very intensely Hmm. um, and hyperfixations. So, you know, I got super... um, i I think my biggest kind of nerd things were an obsession with the hobbit and um you know like the book series by the turf who shall not be named (laughs) um and then uh like i have moved all around the world i've lived in 32 different places i've lived in hong kong and australia um i'm 27 years old and i move like roughly every 18 months and when we moved back to england from australia um it was the year that the Doctor Who revival happened. Okay. And so we were there like at the exact moment. I was like 10 years old when like freaking Doctor Who was kind of reinvented. And that was like, I think my big, that was the point at which there was no return. That was when I was really like deep in the nerd stuff. Um, and then in terms of RPGs, uh, the first RPG I played was actually DD 4th edition um, okay. in my second year at uni. Um, and I had an amazing time, but it wasn't until a friend of mine called Sam Thompson introduced me to 13th age, which is written by some of the designers who were on fourth um, edition um, that I played my first campaign. um, And that, that really got me into like fully like role-playing. And then from there, my my GM for that, Sam, uh, he's like, he's a game designer in his own right. And he loves like indie RPGs. And he started introducing me to more and more like indie um rpgs and kind of like ones that i might not have heard of and stuff and that's when i started like really obsessing um i watched critical role i listened to the adventure zone i got from there into like other actual play shows um both like streamed and also like on podcasting and and then and you know and then i got a dice obsession and now i'm here
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know, what's I, I can definitely say the same thing for myself. Um, I know you listen to the show, but like when it came comes to like things and me becoming obsessed with it, like that's how I even got hooked into this podcasting because my friend knew like if I started, then it would be no return. Cause then i was like, oh, OK, well, how do I do this thing better? How do I do this thing better? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's such a beautiful thing, though. So when it came to fourth edition, fourth edition is like usually people's point of contention. Um, I feel neutral on it because I haven't played it enough to have, like, a good opinion personally. But I know a lot of people hate it. So it's nice because you had no other frame of reference. Like, what were the things that you enjoyed about it?
1: Well, so I think it's interesting, right? Because I am aware of this bone of contention, And I do think, like, on balance, and this is a very basic opinion to have. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say, like, 5e is more fun to play, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, But... I only played fourth ed once and I think like it really came down to the GM. And I think a lot of the time, like uh, if you're not performing, if you're not like at a convention and you're not like really um, you don't have a kind of responsibility or obligation or pressure to play rules as written. I think a lot of the time RPGs come down to how they're run and, and, handle, and how people play them. And so with us, like, we just had a GM who understood that none of us had ever played a role-playing game before and kind of managed to wrangle uh, 4th Ed into something, like, quite simple, actually. Um, And I just... I had this really distinctive um, experience that I always mention because it's it's really the thing that got me into RPGs and I actually can see it like come up again and again in my own GMing where the GM just had this really smart idea that we were in you know kind of classic dungeon there's a bad guy on the other side and we had to essentially do a tug of war to keep the doors shut or else we were all going to die yeah. um and so the way it worked was i really remember like sitting on the floor of my friend's house, this, like, tiny, tiny, like, house, um, and all of us, like, having Chinese takeaway, and we essentially had to do, like, a group role, and so all of us are going around doing, like, a dex or a strength check, I imagine, um, and, uh, as we went round, we knew that if anyone failed, then, like, you know, the monsters would get in. And so, like, the pressure, like, built through every single role. And I just remember this feeling, like, when we actually did it, like, all of us, like, freaking jumping up to our feet, like, just, like, screaming. Um, and, you know, it's just something that simple that stuck with me ever since. Yeah. Um and then, and then I think, I mean, my favorite version of fourth edition is 13th age, which is not fourth edition. And it it's like kind of takes the things that I like about like some of the crunch of fourth ed, but then like makes it a lot better, streamlines, puts role play first, balances the classes, um, I think in, in a better way, uh, 13th, 13th age, I'll sing about till the cows come home, but I, <laughs> I don't necessarily have strong opinions on fourth ed.
0: Yeah, no, that's so fun though. Um, I mean, and it really does help to have a DM that's gonna, you know. Make it an enjoyable experience, and not just railroad you, or um, you know, not make it feel like your character doesn't matter at all. Uh, and, and there's so many elements to that, you know, that that come into play. When was it that you started DMing, DMing yourself?
1: Oh my gosh! Oh, that takes me back. Uh, oh gosh. Okay, yes, no, I remember. Um, so I, so I've been I'm playing role playing games for about eight years. Um, I wish I had been playing for longer. I wish I was one of those people who could be like, I've played since I was a kid. Unfortunately, uh, my folks are the kind of people who are very much see role-playing games as a thing you shouldn't do. So it was just never really an option for me until I turned 18. Um, But um, so I started playing role-playing games about eight years ago. I started GMing, uh, I think about five years ago, but the kind of big kind of watermark for me was I work on an audio drama podcast called The Orphans, which is a kind of epic sci-fi audio drama. And uh, one of the things about The Orphans is that it's recorded remotely. So a lot of the actors have never met each other. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to the writer and director of the show, Zach, my friend, and I was like, you know, we should really get the actors to meet each other. Like, that would be nice. Um, and then we were talking about how that might be a little bit weird and awkward because, you know, they only know each other through this podcast. And, and so I was like, you know what would be a great icebreaker is an RPG. That's a great way to meet someone. And yeah. so I was like, I could I could homebrew you an RPG set in the world of the orphans specifically. And all of the actors know this world because they've all, yeah. like, recorded multiple series of the show. So we can use that as the icebreaker. We'll get some beers. We'll get some pizza be really chill. We'll just like let them be their characters, but then they can socialize in between the role-playing and it could be like a way for them to meet each other. Um, the problem was that Zach liked this idea so much that he was like, we should do an actual play podcast of that. And then that escalated into, we should like actually just write this game and publish this game. And so it, it, it all kind of went a little bit wild. And then like that ended up kind of taking a back burner because like various kind of things happened, but I still have like a 130 page hard sci-fi RPG that I have written um in which you have like classes like you can play a hacker and the hacker is kind of like our bard equivalent so you can like interfere with uh, like enemy drones and you can like get into loudspeakers and send false signals and stuff like that um there are like cybernetics and biohackers who have like kind of augmented like uh, implants like the biohacker has like can can be bioluminescent if they want to be like um and the cybernetic like essentially has a prosthetic that they can turn into like I mean, I like. I think there's somewhere where, like, uh, its version of cantrips is like Swiss Army arm question mark. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it also obviously because pre-species are real things that exist in the world it has like limitations as well. And like, you can do stuff, but that might backfire on you. It might cause you pain and in certain environments. Anyway, this is a tangent. Um, but. Um, Yeah, that was the kind of the first campaign I ran. And in order to test the game, I playtested it and I ran a campaign for two years. Um, And that was the first time I'd done more than a one shot. I ran this like two year long campaign. And I'm still really proud of myself because the moment that I realized that I loved GMing and I had to keep doing it was that at the end of the kind of first arc, I made like three of the players cry, including the guy who wrote the show that the game was based on. (laughs) And I was like, yes, victory. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, I think it's it's fun and obviously led you down the path of of game design, which is which is really cool as well. You know, how did you did you get all of your experience in terms of like story beats and things like that from uh, playing the game or did you have like theater training in school or uh, creative writing, that kind of stuff?
1: yeah so i mean it's kind of a combination so i've done literature and drama um little known fact about me i was like i did like kind of competitive drama and like um like i, I steadfords which are like kind of like a speech and drama competitions mm-hmm. uh when i was nine years old i got like the highest award in australia for for speaking um reciting verse and 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 drama That's um awesome. Yeah, like, uh, thank you. Um, But uh, then I kind of moved away from drama because I was like, actually, I prefer controlling other people. Um, And kind of like, I'm really worried that I'm painting a picture of myself for anyone listening where I'm like, I made them cry and I'm happy and I like controlling people. (laughs) To be clear, they were crying because they were moved, not because they were unhappy. Like, I I respect my players. Um, uh, But yeah, like, I. um, then I did some directing and drama. And actually, one of the things that I do, In my day job is I work in audio drama. um, So a lot of my sort of, yeah, narrative beats, uh, storytelling kind of understanding comes from that. I also studied literature at university. um, So I yeah, like I studied literature, I've done a lot of drama, I work in audio drama and radio plays specifically. And I think that there's a lot of similarity between a radio play and an RPG. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I use the term audio fiction to refer to both audio drama and radio plays and TTRPG podcasts, because they are the same thing. Um, And I think, you know, it's oral storytelling, it's storytelling with sound with your voice in a group collaboratively, that is basically a radio play. So a lot of it comes from um, my love of radio drama, I think that they're much more similar than sometimes people realize.
0: Yeah. How did you get into that field specifically?
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, six years of volunteering. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like I, I got into community radio, um, okay. and, um, I know that it's a little bit different between the UK and the US, but like here, like that's all completely like unpaid. Um, and, okay. I ran a community radio station like at uni, like I was on kind of the, the committee um, and I had like a Saturday morning breakfast show and a drive time show um, and I would kind of present and produce. And then I went to another city because I move a lot and I um, started producing like a breakfast show. I guest presented on like a queer news show, which is kind of the, the biggest queer news show in the southwest of England. It's called Shout Out mm-hmm. um, and an arts show. And then from there, like eventually after three consecutive years of applying and getting rejected, I got some work experience for two weeks unpaid um, at the the BBC National Radio, um, which is like um, our kind of big one. And then from there, I took out a massive loan which I am still paying off um because I am like a a woman alone with so much debt um and I did a master's degree in radio and whilst I was doing that master's degree in radio I moved to London and I got some volunteering experience as a runner on an audio drama um here in the UK a podcast called One Overcoats which is like a comedy about two rival funeral homes Hmm. and uh then I started working Another audio drama called The Unseen Hour, which is a live recorded radio drama once a month in a theater uh, where they did live sound effects. So they would like crush tomatoes, eat cabbages, get bicycle wheels, and then we would turn that into a podcast. And then I got my um, job on The Orphans as well. Um, and I mean, I say job, that was also unpaid. <laughs> um, uh, and then like kind of my big kind of breakthrough in, in that side of my career was that um The BBC has a podcast app called BBC Sounds and um, I like met the kind of the person who was the commissioner, like the head of that. And I was quite drunk at a pub and I shouted at him for like an hour about an Irish play that I really like called Translations. And he was like, man, if you like plays, do you like audio drama? And I was like, yes, actually, in my master's degree, I volunteered to do an extra lecture, which, you know, made me really popular among my fellow classmates um, on audio drama. So I had a PowerPoint that I'd made and I was like, yeah, I have a whole PowerPoint. I think more people need to know about audio drama. And he was like, oh, do you want to like give that presentation to the BBC? And I was like, at this point, it was like 10 p.m. And I'd had too many beers. And I was like, I mean, yeah, I guess. Like, um, and um, then from there, I kind of did some consulting work with them and wrote an overview of the English language fiction podcast industry for the last 10 years in 15 working days whilst couch serving. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is still kind of one of the most comprehensive overviews of like the audio drama podcast industry. Yeah. Um and yeah, and then from there, I like yeah, just work, work with the audio drama community a lot.
0: Yeah, that's fun. I, I recently listened to my first audio drama, um, and sure. it was pretty wild. It um, Okay, let me see if I can remember this, because I always get it wrong. So it's by The Lunar Company. I think the full first season's coming out soon. They did like a first episode that dropped in June, um, and it's Earth. It's either earth eclipse or eclipsed earth Ooh. and um my friend allegra from mayday Roleplay is in it um and this gentleman named reggie i can't remember his last name off the top of my head it's early folks um it's like five in the morning right now um i'm mm-hmm. woken up this early since i was a corporate scumbag back in mm-hmm. 2020 still um but, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, amazing. Like, I, I didn't realize that it would be as evocative as watching a TV show. Um, but I'm, I assume when it's really well produced and everything and uh, got a lot of good post-production, like, it comes off very, very well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's such a cool medium. Uh, and I think it's nice to, especially for people who have good voices, to be, like, you know this is something that you can shine at um so yeah that's super exciting i am curious too um you know just from being neurodivergent being queer and then having lived in a bunch of different places when you're growing up like how did those things did you understand those things when you were younger like did they play into um you know the things that shaped you in in terms of like your nerd life or just your life in general
1: yeah. So um, I, I guess, podcast. no, not at all. Like I, I feel comfortable doing it. And as, as you've mentioned, I listened to your podcast. So I, I actually do feel comfortable talking about it here with you specifically, because I trust um, that this is a, a good and safe space. So um, I did not know that I had ADHD or that I was autistic until I was 27 years old. That is how old I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, I found this out in a couple of ways, I started dating someone who has ADHD and is autistic. Mm -hmm. And I would kind of text them and be like, you know, I can't possibly imagine what it's like to experience what you experience. And they'd be like, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Yeah. yeah, like, and then I started looking into it. And i mentioned it to my friends. And like one of the big things when you get a diagnosis as an adult and like women in particular or people who are raised as women are really under diagnosed with um, ADHD and autism because we present it very differently yeah. um And so one of the big things that you have to do is find people who've known you for a long time, ideally for your whole life, so that they can attest to whether or not you were showing symptoms in childhood. Um, And that has to be like cross-referenced and then it's discussed by a medical committee. Um, And so I mentioned this to like my friends who've known me the longest, which is like eight years and to my grandparents. Um, And the the autism thing came after the ADHD thing. And I mentioned that to my grandparents. I was like, you know, I I think I might be autistic. And with ADHD, they didn't really understand what it was. So I was kind of prepared for a big explanation. Um and my grandpa just looked at me and was like, "Yes, we know." And I was like, "You didn't think you could mention this to me. I would have found that very useful to know." Um but uh yeah, like I it's 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 been fun. Um and honestly like I always say that having now figured this out, I feel like I've solved the Rubik's cube of my brain. Like my mm. whole life I was always I felt like I was working so much harder to be average and it was like why is it so hard for me to do what other people seem to do as like their base level and I didn't understand that I was kind of forcing my brain to try and work in a way that it just doesn't work um and knowing that and knowing that there are like other ways that I could work with my brain like is is just so much better like my um partner always describes it as like everyone else is operating on like Mac OS and we're operating on Linus, but we've been trying to use Linus as if we were using Mac OS. And that's why it's like not working. Like, um, and you know, there are good things about this operating system as well. You just have to figure out how to use it. Um, but in terms of like growing up and nerd stuff, like because I didn't know I had ADHD autism, I didn't understand why people didn't understand me. Um and I kind of then hid in like books and media properties and you know TV shows or anime and manga and like all of this kind of thing. Um and and that and that made my relationship with my parents in particular really really difficult. Um and I, I they didn't I don't know if they knew. Um but they you know it, it, we were never really able to communicate effectively um yeah. and there were a lot of misunderstandings and that led to me getting very very depressed um I have been clinically depressed since I was 11 years old mm. um and I uh, was suicidal and I'm really happy to like mostly be better by now like i I still have depression i still have clinical anxiety but it's manageable and i've had uh, so much therapy um (laughs) and also rpgs which i would say are a lighter kind of therapy Uh, um
0: (laughs) certainly therapeutic
1: uh, yeah definitely um and and and, yeah like eventually like i kind of came to peace with it and i've realized that there are things that i love about the way that my brain works um and to kind of just wrap it up together and get back towards your answer i i think that i owe to, to your question i i think like for me you know i've always used fiction and kind of geeky media and sci-fi and fantasy to like cope when life got too hard or when i felt too strange and as a queer person especially i always really related very hard to like aliens and monsters and people who are like i feel like i'm a monster and i don't know why like i mean i grew up in the uk before Section 28 um, was made, uh, was was taken out of law. And Section 28 made it illegal for teachers to mention the existence of queer people in schools. So I had not even heard of like, I I am bisexual. I did not hear of bisexuality. I didn't know that was a thing until I was 18 years old. I just never encountered it. I knew that there were like gay people and lesbians and I had this whole thing where f- when I was 16, I was like, you know, there are gay people and lesbians, but I, I like girls, but I also like boys. So I guess I'm just being attention seeking. And then I realized that I couldn't be attention seeking if I hadn't told anyone. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to like, let myself look at girls for a month. And then if at the end of the month, I'm like, oh, I really like girls, but okay, maybe I am like gay. And I got to the end of the month and I was like, oh no, <laughs> no, I definitely like girls. Um, and yeah, but but um But, you know, I always found like nerdy fiction a a really good kind of refuge. And then watching Critical Role in campaign one, um, there's the thing where Liam um, like loses, I think it was his mum. And then in the game, like Mm. as Vax, like they role play like bereavement. And I realized that it was a way to talk about things that we don't talk about in society. Like I had a very difficult and criminally abusive relationship with my parents growing up. That is not an acceptable thing to talk about in conversation. Like I have found people who are more willing to discuss anal sex than they are to (laughs) discuss child abuse. Like, but literally like even in a work context and that's ridiculous because we need to talk about this. Like parents are put under so much pressure and they're, they're alone. And the reason that dysfunctional family relationships happen is because parents are not allowed to say, hey, actually I'm having a hard time. and kids aren't allowed to say hey actually i'm having a hard time and similarly with death and bereavement so many people become depressed and suicidally depressed because you're not allowed to talk about death and you're not allowed to talk about grief and after like a year people will kind of not really listen and i think it's really important for us to be able to talk about these things and i think that nerd media and sci-fi media and fantasy media and, and rpgs give you a way of like approaching that from kind of the side instead of going at it head on, you kind of go through metaphors, but it lets you talk about the things you need to talk about with these kind of safety rails of metaphor and, you know, illusion. And uh, yeah, I hope that that's made some kind of sense. That was a very long answer.
0: No, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it is tough. And I think especially as a child um, not being understood is such a difficult thing. Um, you know, and I've talked about it myself, but like for a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I learned how to, um, how to act and how to like behave and how to do different things because of books that I read. You know, I remember being a kid and, uh, for people who skip around in episodes, I am an undiagnosed person. Who I suspect is also um, somewhere on the spectrum, obviously pretty high functioning, but um, and for myself, like it was. I remember being in like a freshman in high school and feeling like zero confidence and not understanding like you know why why I didn't have confidence and how to even achieve it. And I was so socially awkward. And I remember reading a book um, where this kid. He would just do a thing like he would just like kind of lift his head just like above, you know, parallel with the ground um, and and have like a straight back. And that people perceived him as a prince or somebody who was like acting princely. And I was like, oh, I could just do this thing. And then people would just assume that I was like confident and it worked. Um, uh but, yeah, I didn't learn that from, like, another person. Like, it was something, like, I picked up. And there's a lot of stuff like that that I just picked up. So, you know, excuse me. Um, it's cool that we can have those ways to get there. But it's hard for, I mean, every person is different. So how we cope, how we learn, how we um, pick up these skills is, is different for every person. And it's, there's no, like, playbook for it. Especially yeah, like, when you add in depression and everything else
1: sorry I didn't mean to no no you're fine um I yeah like I mean it's funny you said that thing about lifting your chin because I had the same thing like I saw like it was like I think it was like a video of Charlize Theron and she was talking about acting or it might have been something else and like she was saying something about posture and I was like oh cool I'll just do that like that'll work better like um yeah like and it's it's um yeah I mean like like like, it's referred to as like masking where you start Mm -hmm. learning to like consciously imitate what other people are doing and I absolutely had that and i absolutely had it from books as well where i'd be like this character does a thing i like and i like this character so i'm gonna do what they do and hope that that will work um but i i also like absolutely had a thing as well where like i didn't think that like um again like content warning and i'm very happy for you to cut this out if it doesn't make sense to the tone of the episode um but like i didn't think that like parents who didn't want to kill their children existed like i i I, like i really i would read books where there were parents who like loved their children and didn't say they hated them and i was like well this is just hollywood magic this is part of the fiction this is as unrealistic as like spaceships and aliens Mm -hmm. like i was like obviously everyone has a life like mine behind closed doors and like this is just the lie. This is just the fantasy that we make up for books. In the same way that like we have a shorthand for romance, and romance doesn't work that way in real life. And I was just like, oh, you know, like yeah, like nice parents aren't real. Um, <laughs> um, but like, I, but but then like the I I kind of had this like big watershed moment where like I I would write a lot of fan fiction. I would read a lot of fan fiction. And I read a fan fiction where someone was writing a story about a a, a a girl who was being like abused by her parents. And I was like, this is, these parents are so nice. This is like <laughs> weird that you're like, that you're saying this is abusive. Um, so like, oh, yeah, yeah, so like 13 year old me like wrote a message to the fanfic author, who I think must have been like 18 or 19, and was like, Hi, I'm really confused. You say that like this is abusive, but like this seems really nice. I mean, my parents do this, this, and this. So like I and they're fine. Um and the, the fanfic author wrote back to me I was like, No, they're not. That's not okay. Yeah. It was just like, and it was this like big moment where like up until that point, I'd just been like, Oh, this is just reality. Um, and then like fiction was kind of the first thing that started like getting me out of that and started making me go oh no actually like this you don't have to do this and then like to bring it back to rpgs like as an adult like i have gm'd for players who have difficult relationships with their families in all different kinds of ways Mm -hmm. um and i've played in games and it's really nice i I really think that role-playing games can be such a love language between friends and like it's really nice as a GM, like, if I have a player who has a crappy dad to give them a really nice dad. and yeah. like, someone who, like, really loves them and supports their character or, like, people, you know, with difficult relationships with siblings or whatever, like, it's just so nice to be able to talk to people and trust people and use your safety tools and like do it, you know, carefully, Mm -hmm. but like to be able to say, I want to give this to you because I want to express to you as your friend that I think you deserve this. And I want to give that to you in some way. And I know I can't give it to you in reality, but I can give it to you in fiction. And that is like such a meaningful thing to be able to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think there for sure needs to be more of that in, um, in TTRPGs, because I think that you know, there is almost a um, like meme around players like coming into the game and like we're orphans, we don't have any familial attachments, and um, you know, obviously that's a very safe way to play it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that there is um, something special about saying like, you know, you can have family or relationships, and we can just have healthy relationships in this game you know what i mean like you don't have to stress about it um you know you, you, and then also like me like we're you know one of my big things because i i can deal with a lot of a lot of stuff in fiction um so when it comes to safety tools like i don't have too many concerns there are obviously things that i'd still would prefer not to be but like my big thing that i've talked about even when we played our game which obviously wasn't going to come up anyway but was like i do not want like fictional children to be hurt, you know. Like especially my characters' fictional children. So, um, uh, yeah. And I think, but th- that's the thing. Like I'm a real parent, you know what I mean. And you know, I my mom was never abusive or, or anything like that. But I do have trauma of like things that happened around my my childhood that are that still affect me to this day. So I think that there's. Um, you know, it's important to to understand that and to, if you can, you know, get help or whatever, to learn to grow and, and, and have good people around you that are going to help kind of nourish that and, and not, you know, trigger it purposefully or unintentionally if they can avoid it, so.
1: It it's so interesting that you mentioned that as well because I think it's such a difficult line to walk. Like I recently watched Fantasy High and Dimension Twenty for the first time. Mm-hmm. I'm years late to the party, but yeah. you know, I was yeah, I was same. moving yeah it's like it's a good time um I'm very late to the party but like one of the things I really like about it is that like they make an effort to have good parental figures as well as bad ones and like Mm -hmm. positive family relationships and I was like that is so nice to see in an RPG It's like this parent is just good like um but also like I I think it's interesting what you mentioned about like being a parent because for me it's it's always such a it, it kind of a brain teaser because because of like my lived experience I want to explore the idea that like not all families are perfect and that like, I, I can find it difficult sometimes like in real life that people, everyone assumes that your family is perfect. Everyone mm-hmm. assumes that like everything's great and it's like mother's day and father's day and all of these things. And it's just like a lot of kind of, and, and a lot of the time what I end up doing coming back to masking is I, I just kind of say, Oh yeah, you know, it's great. And I, if I don't know someone well, I'll just like play along because it's not worth doing the big unpacking of like, Oh, and also here's all my trauma. Cause I don't know right, this yeah, person. Yeah. Like they don't need that. <laughs> like, um, but, at the same time like you know if i'm writing a story especially a campaign that's going to take like months or years like i i i want those characters to exist in the world but at the same time like you i don't want that to be on screen because i i find that actively triggering um and also because for me for me personally it it feels like needlessly punitive like in the same way that like i am i don't think that i would ever like in one of my games, like ask anyone to role play like police brutality. It's like right. we know this exists in the world. We don't yeah. need to see that on screen. Like mm-hmm. I don't think we need it. Like and and one of my lines and safety tools is always like I don't want the bigotries. Like it's like yeah. we actually don't need to repeat that. We don't need this in this game. Yeah. Um, like uh but but it's it's always like trying to like walk that line of like for me i often kind of put a veil on like dysfunctional families where i'm like if if someone wants to come to the game and explore maybe some of their trauma or conflicted feelings about their family through a character that's okay but i just need to kind of set up for them at the very top that like i am not going to role play a scene where i am an abusive character towards your character yeah, yeah. because i think at that point you really start risking bleed you know mm-hmm. like um wait wait you're you're bringing too much of your own personal emotions to the table and like I don't ever want to be in a situation and I know it's not possible to completely guarantee that you'll avoid it but I really want to do everything I can to avoid a situation where I personally have triggered someone in real life through Mm -hmm. this like dumb fantasy game we're doing for fun like you know like it's not that's not worth it like it needs to be good for people it needs to be kind it needs to be helpful um in my opinion I, I have no interest in 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 causing anyone any kind of harm
0: yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to really, um, to really understand and explore and have good conversations around it. Um, you know, I've been playing with the same group, uh, smaller version of that group cause we've had less of the original players play, but we've been playing together for a couple of years now. Um, and we recently just talked to, again about safety tools because I had created an NPC that deceived them. Um, and uh and they and they got tricked pretty pretty handedly and and it ended up in the in this big fight and um my original plan for how I was going to deceive them changed because I was just like I don't have enough clarification on what's okay um with uh especially with my friend Cree um cuz she is the only woman at the table um and and I was like I just don't know enough and I don't want to like spoil the story and I can be responsible DM and just change how the character approaches them um, and change my plan and then talk to her about it afterwards and say, like, hey, you know, this is what I was originally thinking about. Um, and she was super cool about it. And we and, and, and it did help clarify some of those things. Um, and thankfully, you know, I didn't end up abs- accidentally hurting anybody. But I just say all of this to say, like, it's important if you're not sure um, to check in you know, and and be responsible and have, um, you know, those moments so that way you don't do it. Because even for myself, like, you know, I mentioned I can pretty much watch anything, but one thing that gets me every time, uh, whether it's a TV show or Dimension 20 or Critical Role, is like when you have, um, you know, sorry, mom and dad, if you listen, but like arguing parents and yelling, like that's a big trigger for me in the sense that like I turn into like, almost like a scared child. Like, I'm like, I just want to be out of this situation. Like, I don't even want to listen to this. Um, uh, And so, yeah, so in those moments in Dimension 20, when they have those parents, like, being just awful and yelling at the kids, you know, it's just like, damn, like, this is hard to watch. And I'll still watch it, and, you know, um, because I think that now, as a 33-year-old adult, I have pretty decent coping skills, so I can deal with this um or I'm okay with like processing those emotions I guess but yeah but it's still difficult to do and not everybody has those same things so you really do got to take care of yourself and you know if you're in a situation where you're with other players and TTRPGs take care of those players as well um which kind of leads me into like you know when we did play your game and and we'll definitely let's talk about that but like the way that you um dm was just so sweet and it was such a wonderful experience so um thank you we can talk a little bit about that more but i would like to just kind of set it up like i mentioned up river down river what is this game why should people play this game why should they support this kickstarter
1: do it but you know (laughs) (laughs) well first of all thank you um So Upriver River Down River is a tarot-inspired pastoral fantasy about sailing a ship on a magical river. That's kind of our, our one-line pitch. That's our elevator pitch. Um, in, in more detail, um, it is a kind of queer, gentle game about boats and death. Um, it came out of a couple of things that I wanted from the RPGs that I've been playing and also the RPGs I've been reading because I think like a lot of people in this community, I have so many RPGs I've read and not played yet yeah. um, that I want to play. Um, and and listened to and watched. So uh it's upriver downriver is set on the great river and the kind of premise of the game it's it's a system and a setting the 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 premise of the setting is that like everyone in the world has only ever known the great river and no one has ever gone anywhere else um and all magic comes from the river and like fish come from the river and there's silver in the riverbed and there's everything that you could possibly need and one end of the river is the sea and the other end is in the mountains and like theoretically somewhere under the mountains is the source of the river from which it is said all magic springs but no one has ever successfully made it to the source because to get there you have to navigate miles and miles of labyrinthine enchanted tunnels and no one has ever gone and come back so people are pretty sure that that's like it's actually kind of a death mission Um, the, the same is true of the sea no one has ever crossed the horizon of the sea and come back so people generally don't go anymore when you play the game you swear an oath to reach either the source or the sea and this oath is a magical oath and it's binding. And it means that even if your character dies, you get to keep playing as a ghost, which was the one of the first things that I thought would be fun to have in an RPG that I really wanted to do more. I've, I've known GMs and players um, kind of, MacGuffin ways that you can keep playing as your character, like as a zombie of your character, as a vampire of your character, and sometimes as a ghost. But I thought it would be really fun if that was, like, inherent to the system. So you die, you become a ghost, you get new abilities, you get new limitations as well. But, like, I, I, I just, like, I wanted that to be, like, a kind of thing. And also because... I mentioned this is a game about death and boats like i very much a lot of the game is about our relationship with death and and having a more healthy relationship with death and being able to discuss it and so one of the things is that your magical oath makes you a ghost ties your soul to the ship until you reach your destination if you reach your destination and you're still a ghost you will die you will pass on and you as the player have to make that decision as to whether or not you think that it's time for your character to pass on um the other thing about the game that i wanted to see like as a designer as a player as a gm is that it's built for short campaigns because I, I love one shots and I but I actually much prefer campaigns but my heart has been broken by many campaigns which have kind of fizzled out because of yeah. like scheduling it's just lost momentum like it's gone on too long and so I, what I wanted is for this game to have a very definite ending and for people to have like a narratively satisfying ending so you have resolution and you go into it with the expectation that it's gonna end it's not gonna go on forever and again I think that comes back to our relationship with death like I think that we're kind of hesitant to end stories we want endless sequels because we're terrified of death and we don't want there to be an ending and I think it's important to recognize that death is part of life stories have endings and that's good and that's a good thing and we need it um so it's built for kind of four to 12 sessions and the idea is that each time you navigate to a new location you do a new session um and you level up there are four levels in the game you can spend a maximum of three sessions in any one location, um, and uh, yeah, and then you and then you either reach the sea or the source, and that's the end. And you have to pick a direction at the very start, and you only get to see one half of the great river. There are yeah. lots of rules about not going backwards. Um, and then the final thing was, and this is like, I think the least original thing about the game, because there are so many amazing tarot inspired games from, you know, I mean, I know Grant Howard did one that was great. I think it was called Royal Blood. Um, there's so many that are coming up on Kickstarter at the moment. I'm really excited about anamnesis um, by Twitter user Goblin Market. Um, Sam who has a TikTok who reviews games. That's going to be amazing. It's like a solo journaling game. There are so many just excellent tarot inspired games, um, But I I love tarot and I thought it would be fun. And when I originally wrote this game, I wrote it in kind of lockdown fever Mm -hmm. and I wrote it by hand. And I actually have the notebook where I wrote it by hand from start to finish. And I had read this book called The Way to the Sea, which is like a nonfiction book about the social and natural history of the Thames River. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, wow, like rivers are so important to our world. Like, they're so yeah. important to the foundation of our civilizations in a really interesting way that we've completely forgotten because we don't really use them anymore. Um, and they're also obviously so crucial for freshwater and its habitats. And and so I was like, I really want a game about a river. I really want a game about sailing. I know that there are a couple of games about sailing and, and stuff, but I wanted something that really centered. You are on a boat. You are a crew. You are sailing a ship. There are ship battle mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted a a game specifically about a river, not about oceans, because the RPGs I found about sailing have mostly been about, like, sailing on a sea or kind of more piratical things. Um, So I wanted it to be about a river. I wanted it to be a short-term campaign. I wanted you to, like, consider death. Um, And the last thing is that the big crucial thing about the setting is it's all about, like, war and peace in the environment like I often compare it to Princess Mononoke and The Hobbit and I'm always worried that when I say that people are like ah yes girl who's watched one film and read one book picks the most famous and basic like references but it's it's specifically because J.R.R. Tolkien and Hayao Miyazaki came out of world wars with a very specific like idea in mind for creativity so like this is this game is kind of written with that kind of style and mind of like you know it's pro pacifism it's pro disarmament it's pro like a more a healthier relationship with our natural world it's talking about recognizing that our natural world is important um and so you know the setting is like a war is ongoing and you're at the very end of a war and you as the players have a decision to either like end that war or to act on those enmities and that that kind of like that harm and like deal with that trauma Mm -hmm. um and like yeah, like I, I think for me that's really important, and I I also mention this a lot, but I I think it is important. I've seen a lot of games set in the 20th century that go around like world wars, and I'm very uncomfortable with almost all of them. Um, yeah. That's no disrespect at all to the designers, but I think that um, there's a quote that the curator, one of the curators of the British Museum, ah, the imperial institution of terrible <laughs> terrible sins. Uh, but but there's 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 a quote that that he. I, I I read him mention once, and he said like the Germans use history to remember and to learn, and the British mm. use history to forget. Yeah. And I think that that's so true. Like the the British people, and I I can't say it for American people, but certainly British people, it's a lot same. of British I'm people, sure. <laughs> you know, a, a, a i sure we're the same. <laughs> yeah, a lot a lot of like especially white British people talk about like the 1950s as like this like perfect era and and as if it's a justification for like jingoism and patriotism and racism and like anti like refugee kind of sentiment and xenophobia Mm. and like closing borders and it's like as I, I, I grew up in a military family my dad was in the military he went to war I was in the royal air force uh for a while like I had to like sign like a piece of paper that said I would go to war and I had to think about like what that meant and as a person who's kind of been in that background every single soldier their primary their primary objective in theory is peace soldiers don't want war they want peace like and to and, and and specifically to kind of pervert and like this 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 idea of like oh no like to use like the world wars as a justification and this cocoon for like oh well we just need to be like isolated and we need to think about ourselves is i think it's obscene especially to the memory of those people but i also think on top of that i'm sorry i'm on a whole rant now but like no,
0: fine.
1: people will also talk about like they'll they'll oversimplify especially world war ii into like bad guys versus good guys and it's like okay so we're just gonna sweep under the rug all of the racism we're gonna sweep under the rug the fact that britain and america refused boats of jewish refugees they just wouldn't let them land they sent them back to concentration camps we're going to ignore like the the terrible 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 violence done by like both of our nations the fact that both britain and america came into the war quite late because it wasn't important to us like this was never a moral war um and it's important to remember i think that war is never moral um and i and i worry sometimes that when i see fiction set in um in these periods that it really doesn't come across it well. And obviously like there are exceptions. Like I think I've seen a lot of uh, Jewish creators in particular make really beautiful and nuanced and interesting games like set in these periods. But when it comes to people who, especially people who are white, especially people who have been raised in any Christian church there, I think that there's a lot of sweeping under the rug and I think there's a lot of confusion. And I think there's a lot of rose tipped glasses and I wanted to make a game that kind of challenged that. And said, "Okay, like, I think that we need to talk about war and peace because war is still endemic in the world. And like America and Britain are still at war just because it's not on our home shores. Doesn't mean that we're not at war. Doesn't mean there aren't hundreds of thousands of people dying every day, like because of empire, because of imperial expansion um we need to think about what war means to us as people who live in these countries and we know there's nothing we can do about like the act of like actual war zones there's nothing you or i can do about that but Mm -hmm. i'm very much personally of the opinion that the the least we can do is be angry about it and the least we can do is think about it and confront ourselves with those moral questions and ask ourselves what that means Um, And to kind of get to the end of my very self-righteous rant, (laughs) um, uh, there's an anime very famous called Full Metal Alchemist, um, but Hiro Akawa, who wrote it, the mangaka, like artist and writer, she, she said two things. The first one that she said was like, yeah, that she wanted to have Ed and Al be children because she thinks that, you know, we look at war now and as adults, we learn to not care because we're like, we can't care about everything. And yeah. so we kind of teach ourselves to stop caring. And she wanted to have protagonists who were children because they would be angry about things that adults had just come to accept. Yeah. But the other thing she said was that she she actually did a lot of research and um, FMA is based on World War One. She did a lot of research and she interviewed war veterans of both wars. And she kind of had this big crisis of, of con- conscience where she was like, how can I make like a fantasy series that will in any way as a piece of fiction come close to like exploring the real trauma and suffering and atrocities and nuance and complexity of like what actually happened and she said that her friend said to her um fiction brings salvation to characters and stories who would otherwise have no salvation at all Mm. and that is kind of essential to this game. I've had yeah. lots of players who came into the game who wanted to play like former soldiers or deserters, and they wanted to explore that idea of like what you do when you feel like you are part of something, you're part of an empire, you're part of a country, you're part of a nation that has done something unforgivable. And like, how do you continue? And and what what do your actions mean? And and what and and you know, and, and and if you're part of a community that suffered, like, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that real anger? And how do you exercise that? But then also, how do you navigate those complexities? And I've, I've had, like, you know, one of my first players was someone who's Romani-Jewish and was really kind of wanted to explore, like, how to navigate the anger and the real, like, desire and also, like, absolute, like, right to justice. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, how to just live as a person who, like, has got this, like, massive kind of, like, weight of, like, injustice, like, put on your shoulders, but also is just an individual person who needs yeah. to live your life and, like, how to marry those things together. That got very long, and I don't know if it made sense, but...
0: <laughs> no, yeah. No, I think it's it's really good. And, you know, what I really loved uh, when we played it together, and by the time that this comes out, our our uh, episode um, with Beholder to Know on... Nikki um uh and Rich um from Hatchling uh, um will be out but that being said um you know when when we played it together one of the things that i really enjoyed um was like you talked about like you know we create the culture like it's you know there are some certain things that are built around like the game structure or you know the world in general but for the most part like you know it, you just kind of are like there's no like real character description um like this is what um a river folk looks like so it was nice to be able to be like okay yeah cool like nikki's playing river folk and i'm playing river folk but our river folk look like what we decide they look like and to have the liberty to and the comfort you know feeling like you would take care of this to be like i'm going to play a river folk who has dark brown skin and see we dreadlocks and then and we just moved forward and it wasn't like a big deal and so um i mean it's just a wonderful thing but i think also too like you know just goes to show like we can make these games these and have um space to make people feel comfortable and not feel like you're pigeonholed into this one thing and that's how um because a lot of people look at what's written in a document and say okay like this is what it is other people are you know uh I don't know what the word is but they feel comfortable it's being like I don't care what the book says I'm gonna play it this way and that's how I want to do it but I think that there's a lot of folks who who see it and go well okay I guess this is how my character has to look or whatever like my dwarf has to be you know red hair with a beard and and you know and and that kind of thing so yeah but
1: I'm glad I'm, I'm no I'm, I'm glad that you felt that way because like it was a whole discussion I actually don't as a rule, I don't really like um kind of having in better commas fantasy races in RPGs. And so yeah. it was like really like a thing of like whether or not we wanted to have the origins where you can, you know, you play as a riverfolk or an elf or a human or a dwarf or a halfling. Um but like I discussed it a lot with the designer um Sasha um at McGuffin and Company, um, which is the kind of co-developer that we that we're working with. Um and I, I think it was important to me, I mean two things what you said about like letting people build the world like the river the whole the whole setting is very on purpose like absolutely the hardest possible fantasy archetypes they are the simplest archetypes they are like the city the forest you know like it's like but but i wanted it to be that so that people could build their world and so they could tailor it to like the themes that they wanted to explore and like the cultures and flavors and art styles and atmospheres and climates that they wanted to explore Mm -hmm. um but also um because and 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 the same is like very much true of the people like I was like okay so I I have this idea that I want to talk about like conflict and I want to talk about war and peace but I really don't want to dictate that first of all because I am in absolutely no way at all qualified to talk about like war and peace between any nation because I am a freaking 27 year old with a degree in like freaking radio um but but also because I think that again like that thing that I was saying earlier about like RPGs as a love language I think that you can negotiate that with the people you play with so like mm-hmm. I, I mentioned like having a friend who was Romani-Jewish who wanted to go in one direction with it. I had another, like, pe- someone who, like, wanted to explore, like, Welsh identities, like, and, and Welsh language and culture. Um, and, I, like, pe- one of the things that I've enjoyed about the game is is seeing the way that people, like, decide to kind of build on, like, their own experience, but also outside of it to, like, make a culture that they want to explore. Because yeah. I, I think that that's important. And, yeah, that's a big part of why there are no physical descriptions of the origins. And, and, and I want people to be able to kind of interpret them as they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kept them in because I also like personally like partly just like I'm a nerd who read the Hobbit when I was very small and like the idea of like kind of like you know people with superpowers and I like I love yeah. Greek mythology and I like the idea of like nymphs and naiads and and stuff like that. but also because some of the stuff that I'm doing in the game is on purpose supposed to be, it's supposed to kind of react against, like, classical archetypes. So, for example, in our game, the dwarves are not a warlike race of blacksmiths. They right. are the keepers of all magical knowledge. So they are the scholars of the world. And I wanted that to happen on purpose. And, like, the yeah. halflings are not the kind of cozy, gentle, like, little ones. They are the armorers. They are the weaponsmiths. They are the most fearsome kind of warriors of the river. Um, and, you know, with the river folk, it was kind of like I I wanted something that was, like, not so much, like, literally animistic in that way of, like, actually beings of the water, but, like, more of the kind of idea of, like, exploring that idea that I find interesting of, like, when you have people who've lived in a place for a really long time, I think about this a lot in Britain with, like, uh different, like, communities, especially kind of the um Britonic and Celtic communities in Britain Mm -hmm. there is this like deep and spiritual relationship with the landscape and with like the way that this landscape has literally formed people's language and like impacts literature and like a friend of mine always jokes that I've spent so much time in the mountains that every single piece of writing I ever do there are either literal mountains or a metaphor about mountains (laughs) because I just love mountains um and uh I wanted with the river folk to like give people that two questions one of them was what is your relationship with nature have you left it behind or is it important to you and the other one is that in in the game the tarot kind of side of things comes in because there are 22 faces of the river god the river god is like water it has many faces it has many aspects it changes it's mercurial and each of those 22 faces is one of the major arcana and each of those 22 faces is attached to one of the 22 locations on the river and the idea is that the river folk uh, kind of like essentially control or at least like in some way divined the original religion of the river so they understand the river god better than anyone else does they divine kind of what each of the faces means and what the curses and blessings mean and and they choose like which paths people walk or like they they can suggest to you a path you can choose your own but like um and you can also build a lot on like what exactly this religion looks like but for me as a person who was raised catholic like the other question that i wanted to give to people who play river folk is like what's your relationship with religion like is do you have a personal relationship with god is it a relationship that you build yourself do you not believe in any god do you react to like the existence of god are you unhappy with the existence of god and also like which god are we talking about are we talking about a christian god in which case like that's a very specific idea are we talking about a jewish god like i love the way that jewish people like talk about faith and and talk about like negotiating and obviously like there are many 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 different like um like strands of Judaism I am not generalizing terribly but like like I, I like I like one of the fundamental principles as I understand it of Judaism of, of like the, the idea that you negotiate your relationship with faith and with the divine and you talk about it and you think about it and you argue about it and you don't always agree to it and yeah. then we talk about like pantheistic religions like and stuff like where I mean Hinduism isn't so much a religion as, as an umbrella term for many different religions but like again it's, it's that that idea about like how do you interact with spirituality? How do you interact with faith? And that's one of the reasons that communing with the river, which is like a big mechanic in the game where, you know, your GM draws a card for you. It's very, very important to me that like everyone decides how they commune with the river. It doesn't have to be a religious or spiritual activity. And it also doesn't have a specific kind of like, um, I was going to say catechism, but I don't think that's the word I mean, like creed or doctrine, like it, it's that you create your own relationship with spirituality, with magic, with the divine, or just with the world. Maybe for you what is most spiritual is existing in the world as you are now as a person in the real world that you're in.
0: Yeah. Um
1: and yeah, that that was also a ramble. No, no, you're
0: fine. Yeah, I mean it's um, you know, I it was the first like non, uh, D and D game that I got to play, which was a lot of fun. Um, and like I, I said, I don't remember if I told you on camera or off camera at this point now, but, um, yeah, I mean, the way that you ran the game, um, was super sweet and, I, you know, I know we all enjoyed it. Um, but you also have a good, uh, ear for listening and creating story beats and, and, um, and it was really fun to just like, To do a story centered one shot, um, you know, and get to just kind of create these different scenarios and do like, just like, can I do this thing? And, and, you know, and we got to play that out. And so um, it was so much fun. Uh, I think people are definitely going to enjoy this game. you know, your Kickstarter starts today. Is that?
1: Yeah, yeah it's this wow. evening. Yeah. I am so <laughs> nervous. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's fun. Um, well, awesome. Yeah, I'm. I'm super excited for for you and and uh, and I. You know, I hope that you guys have a very successful Kickstarter, and I'll do you know anything I can to support you guys. Um, you know, uh, this will be out in like a month's time. How long is it going to run for?
1: it's going to run from the 26th of october to the 26th of november okay so it will run for a month
0: yeah so it might this might come out before then i'll see what i can do but um either way um you know keep an eye out for it and um definitely get involved because it's it's a fun game and and i think people are really going to enjoy i you know i definitely enjoyed it and uh and yeah, and I and I love rolling dice and, and, and fighting monsters as much as the rest of people, but um, it was such a cool experience to like build this um, you know, this culture around a character that I just whipped up. So it was a lot of fun.
1: I'm really glad and also hey if you're listening and you do want to try it when we put the kickstarter live um the quick start guide will be available for free to download and i'm pretty sure that that will still be available even when the kickstarter ends so if you just want to download a free pdf and play the game you can do that
0: yeah absolutely well very cool well um, thank you so much for coming on and uh, i'm glad we could figure this out with these crazy time zones this is my third international um episode so that's fun uh, but yeah I, I really enjoyed it and I you know great to always great to learn more about people that I enjoy so
1: thank you so so much for having me I'm so excited to be on this podcast I'm such a big fan <laughs> thank um, <you> so much. <laughs>
0: yeah well very cool well we'll end it there and um, yeah I appreciate it
1: <laughs> you're more than welcome thank you and also yeah. thank you so much for getting up so early
0: oh um, yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show. And if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing.